Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to another edition to the Point Podcast. Hope everybody's doing well on this Friday. Hope everybody had a, a good Canada Day. However, uh, you celebrated it. Obviously, it was a little different, as I mentioned yesterday on the podcast. But nevertheless, I um, hope everybody had a good time. And as we head into uh, another weekend here, uh, it not the greatest weather in uh, in here in New Brunswick. But we do have a lot in the horizon. We're about 12 hours away from Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Final. Uh, tomorrow night, we'll see game six of the Easter Conference final between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Atlanta Hawks. We'll get into that. Wimbledon is in action all day today and tomorrow, with Sunday being the off day uh, at that tournament. We have the Euros kicking in again today. I haven't mentioned it a whole bunch on, on the podcast, but I, I've been catching them after work watching you know, the Switzerland-France game that was just incredible, where Switzerland's down 3-1 with nine minutes left. They tie the game, then shock. You know, they stopped Kylian Mbappe, one of the best soccer players in the world in, in the last penalty kick. Just great theater there. But, you know, a lot of surprises. You know, Portugal's out. France is out. Uh, Germany. So it looks like England, Spain, uh, they got good, good past potentially to get to the end with the English not winning a major tournament in over 50 years. Uh, maybe this is the year they finally break through with you know, the likes of Czech Republic, Denmark, Ukraine still being in the mix. So a lot, a lot of upsets in the Euros, which um, that'll be on today and tomorrow with the, with the final eight teams um, doing battle. But I wanted to start off today by talking about something. I, I got into this earlier in the week, but I, I want to touch on it more because yesterday there was, it was a big deal. The, the Supreme Court ruled in the United States that college athletes can now use their name, image, and likeness to make money essentially. So what this means, just to simplify it before, if there was a Jersey and it had Johnny Manziel on the back of it, when he played at Texas A&M, he didn't get a dime from that Jersey. However, it had his, has his name on the, on the back of it, right? It just sounds counterintuitive. The player, that's your name. You should get something from that, but that's not just how the NCAA worked. But Finally, after years and years where you think of the athletes that could have made money just using their name, using their likeness, endorsing products, they're going to be able to do that. And finally, you know, finally, this, this is this is happening. And it's first of all, this is great for college athletics and it's great for you can call them student athletes, but they're athletes. You know, most of these players are not going to college because they want to become an architect. Let's just be honest here. They're going there because they want to play great and then go to the NBA or go to the NFL or go to the NHL, whichever league. But I'm going to focus more on college basketball and college football here because it just dwarfs college hockey, men's and women's when it just comes to, um, you know, when it comes to viewership and just the overall overall love for the sport, college football may be the biggest sport in North America. And that's not me just giving a hot take. If you look around college stadiums, there are 80 to 90,000 people every given Saturday. And you think of Trevor Lawrence, who was just at Clemson the last number of years, just went first overall to the Jacksonville Jaguars. How much money? Could he have made while in school? I think it would be astronomical. Gatorade, Coke, all these big companies, 
you know, clothing companies that he could partner with that's using his name, his image, his likeness every time he can sell stuff on social media. That was banned before. In 2010, a player was fined because he got a tattoo that was deemed inappropriate when it comes to selling a product. That's, that's how much the, the NCAA had people by the short and curlies. Those days are over. The NCAA is one of the worst organizations in the world because they're corrupt. They're run by really, let's just be honest, shitty people, and they don't allow their student athletes, quote unquote, to make any money. Yet they make it hand over fist. You know what? I'm sure the capitalist crowd that's listening is saying good for the NCAA. I'm not saying good for the NCAA because the NCAA, you have nothing without your athletes. That's just a fact. You need these athletes to provide a product. Nobody's going to the arena to listen to old white bald men talk about whatever, what they did in 1894. But this is great for all the future athletes. Maybe it keeps kids in school longer. I think one thing it will do is upperclassmen, you know, seniors and juniors that Necess, you know, could go to the NBA, you know, as an undrafted free agent, maybe, maybe never make it, but you're four years in college where you're a stud, you can make some money. And if you know what you're doing financially, if you go to get a good investor, you have a really good start to life. You may not be set for life. You may make three, $4 million, but it's a, it's a damn good start. You get a degree, you have three, $4 million in the bank, and then you can go have another career. It's those players I think this is really going to help. And this also ends, you know, back in the day, Reggie Bush was stripped of his Heisman Trophy because it was, uh, it was proven that, you know, his family had taken money so that he would go to USC. Well, no more back, you know, you don't need a backyard deal anymore because a company can just say, go to USC and we're signing you, okay, Gatorade, you know, you're going to be our, our sponsor. You're going to, it's going to be you or Subway. What we see all, all the time, these pro athletes get signed with these companies. Some college athletes are going to get that opportunity. And hopefully, you know, it's spread across teams. It's not just quarterbacks. It's not just, just O-linemen, other guys deserve that opportunity as well to make their own deals and see what they can do. But Looking back, I just wanted to think of guys who I think really missed out on breaking the bank when it comes to just what they could do. You know, a couple of names came to mind. Tim Tebow, when he was at Florida, he was a big deal. I mean, we see how polarizing he is now as a subpar athlete. The guy, you know, uh, I think he'd kill in the United States when it comes to branding. Just we know how big religion is in the United States with him and him being Angelico Christian or whatever the hell he is. Uh, you know, that, I think that's, that's going to work his whole Tebow time. And when he takes a knee after he scores a touchdown and he's just, he's a polarizing figure and he's a big, strong, straight white male. So, you know, that, that doesn't hurt either playing quarterback, winning Heisman trophies, you know, yada, yada, yada. So he's one that instantly came to mind. I thought of maybe like Christian Leitner uh, at Duke. He wasn't the best NBA player, but Christian Leitner was a guy that was really, really good at Duke when he played there. 
And you know, they were starting to turn the tide. Duke as a program. I think of the Fab Five at Michigan. What those guys were huge. Um, I just the beginning of the pandemic. I watched a documentary with my dad about the Fab Five. Um, obviously knew about them, but my dad was a big Michigan fan um, at the time. He's still a big C Web guy, and you know, just talking, watching that doc. And seeing what these five guys were doing, where they almost had, you know, the improbable season where they were going to go undefeated, they end up losing in the final four. But these guys could have, st- if these guys had this opportunity, I see Weber, I see Webb talked about it on the TNT broadcast the other night, where he said, you know, I would have stayed a couple extra years at Michigan. If he left as a 20 year old after a sophomore season to go to the NBA. He said, I would have stayed because I wanted to anyway, but I was making no money. Well, he could have been making money. And, you know, Jalen Rose and Jawan Howard and even the, the other two members of the Fab Five who didn't have great, who didn't have pro careers, they all could have been a selling point. They all could have divvied up the money evenly. And, you know, the two guys who didn't make it could have had a good start to their life. But I think those guys in Michigan, just the car companies, the different opportunities they'd have, I think they would have struck it rich. And number one to me, this is head and shoulders, is Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel turned out to be a really sad NFL story because he never, he never got to the ultimate you know, top of the heap. He was a disappointment in the NFL. But in college, this guy was electric. He was the Heisman Trophy winner. He was the man. He went to Alabama and beat them as Texas A&M quarterback. That doesn't happen every day. And he was a show. He was a showman. He was doing the Johnny money. He was celebrating. And he, was, he could sell better than everybody. Who wasn't? You, couldn't, you weren't a college football fan. You may not have been a sports fan. But you knew who Johnny Manziel was. I loved him. I still wish he was playing football. I have a soft spot in my heart for Johnny Manziel. Now, he could have made a ton, ton of money, and it probably would all be gone right now because he would either have drinking it or maybe I'm not going to you know, put it up his nose. But nevertheless, he could have made a ton of money going into the NFL. And this new ruling is going to give kids I mean, that's what they are when they come when you go into college university you're a kid the opportunity to to make some money but these kids know how big they are when you're playing college football at clemson at alabama you know you're a big deal because guess what all your games are on espn guess what you, they talk about the draft they talk about players day in day out and there's 80,000 people at the stadium. That's 80,000. That's just in your demographic. How many people are watching the game from across the country? We see after players leave the leave college, Kyler Murray was in a commercial right away with Tim Tebow about the Heisman. He could make that. He could make that commercial with Tim Tebow tomorrow now. Using that's him. That's just that's you can put him in a commercial. You couldn't be in a commercial before. 
You couldn't have a job in college. Like, that's how bad this system was in the NCAA. Unless you worked in, like, campus or something, you couldn't go work because – so it's great to see a really bad, really, really bad organization like the NCAA get, get, what's, get what's coming to them because they've run this free system for the longest time where they've just kept bringing in money. And it's like, okay, well, this kid's done. He's going to the NFL. Let's bring in another guy, you know, from the barn. Bring him up from the pasture. We'll shoot him. We'll bring in another guy. You know, it's like, yeah, it's like a horse that has a bad leg. You got to put him down. That's what these players get. They're going to the NFL. They're done. And then you bring in the other guy. Next quarterback, who's up? Spencer Rattler, Oklahoma. Okay, Kyler's gone. Let's bring in Spencer. That's just how this works. But I'm glad to see that these college athletes – are going to get the opportunity. This is not just for men. You think of UConn and the program that uh, Gio, yeah, Gino Oriema has, has produced at UConn. Paige Beckers is a very popular female player for UConn. She's got over 400, I think she's got over 400,000 Twitter followers. She's got more Twitter followers than Jalen Suggs, who, was, who she's dating at Gonzaga. Paige could... She obviously wants to go to the uh, WNBA after, but she can make some oh, make some money this year. She's one of the most she's one of the most recognizable female athletes in the world right now. So uh, a woman like Paige Beckers, other you know, we see what with these women, they have opportunities too. It's not all just about the men, but I, she's the one that came to mind for me right now. When it comes to female athletics, I. I and in college, I don't think there's a bigger one than Paige. So it's good to see opportunities going to these, to these um, men and women. And I hope they, they make all the money they want because forever the NCAA has been making it hand over fist and they will continue to do so. But even at a lower scale, these college athletes should have the opportunity to make some money while the NCAA has them. And while you're there three, one, two, four years, make what you can. And then hopefully you have a good financial investor and you move on from there. But overall, a very good day uh, for, for, in my opinion, for, for the college athletes and screwing over the NCAA is never a bad thing because that's just a corrupt, corrupt system. Um, tonight we have Stanley, the Stanley Cup final game three. Tampa Bay at Montreal as the series shifts back to La Belle Province. And after the first two games and mulling it over, it um, game one was obviously Tampa. That was just a, a game dominated by the Tampa Bay Lightning where I don't even think it was really that close. Montreal never had agency in the game. I touched on that. And, you know, the, the best players came to play for Tampa. In game two, it was the complete opposite where the Montreal Canadiens outplayed the Tampa Bay Lightning. But they didn't get to the, the great spots. I think Vashlesi made some big saves. I mentioned the save on Toffoli head on, stopping Suzuki on the breakaway with that nice poke check, um, stopping Caulfield in tight. But they're not getting enough shot slot, shot slot, slot shot, sorry, on Andre Vasilevsky. Ugh, tongue twister. But they need to get to those areas. 
They need to shooting from the periphery is not going to work. Andre Vasilevsky is too damn big and too damn good to allow those to go in. So tonight, the emphasis for the Montreal Canadiens has to be get the puck to the middle of the ice. Keep guys in front of that. Get some screens. Make Vasilevsky work to see the puck. At least make his, you know, move his head and fight through that screen. And maybe the Tampa defense has to take a penalty in the position. Then you get a power play. But that's that's how you get to do it. And also, Tampa's only had one power play goal in two games. That was at the end of game one, which was really an irrelevant goal by Steven Stamkos. But don't take stupid penalties. The refereeing has been inconsistent in this series. I've, I've hated most of the calls so far where they've let them play a lot and they call junk, but don't take stupid penalties because you do not want to give this opportunity. You don't want to give uh, the Tampa power play many opportunities because point Kucherov, the way they moved the puck, I thought they, the penalty kill was unbelievable in game two, but don't, don't poke the bear, you know, stay out of the box. Another big factor tonight is Dominic Ducharme is returning to the bench for the Montreal Canadiens. He has not coached since game two of the uh, Vegas series where they get back to Montreal. He's getting ready for game three. And that morning he had a test irregularity. And then it came out that he had actually tested positive for COVID-19. Although he was vaccinated, he had to go into quarantine for this period of time and yada, yada, yada. Uh, but Luke Richardson did a good job, but Ducharme's the head coach and he's back on the bench. and. Looking at the first two games, Luke Richardson was out of his league. Uh, when it comes to getting matchups, he looked confused on the bench to me. He didn't fight hard enough to get the Deneau line against point. And for Ducharme back on the bench, there's no excuse not to have that matchup tonight. If I When I watch the game tonight, if I do not see Ducharme against point 99.7% of the time tonight, I'm going to lose it. And Montreal fans, you should too. Because – is Philip Deneau a lock to stop this line from scoring? No, but he gives you the best opportunity to stop Point and Kucherov from scoring. That's the point. You can't guarantee it. You're not going to skunk everybody like they did Mark Stone, but they made Austin Matthews look like an average hockey player. Mitch Marner looked like Fozzie Bear out there. So get that matchup tonight. If Dominic Ducharme, it shouldn't be a fight because you have last change. Continue with that matchup. Other than that, you know, the third line of Tampa has been a problem for the Montreal Canadiens. And I'm not a huge matchup person per se. I, I do think the, the one matchup after that. But if you can get the Anderson line against that third line of, uh, of Tampa, I think that would be interesting. Of Anderson, Byron, and... Um, uh, Name's not coming to mind right now, but I, oh, Kakaniemi. That line needs to, I would try to go third line for third line because that's a physical line that defends well. You know, to, to, to Foley, Caulfield, and to, uh, to Foley, Caulfield, and, and uh, Suzuki going up against the Stamkos line would be a good one for me because I don't, I, I think that's a, that's a good head to head, but Tampa defensively, sometimes they can cheat a little bit. And, um, you may get some scoring opportunities, but make life difficult, make 
the transitions out of Tampa zone tough. I think they've been way too easy the first couple of games. You see Chernak, he just says a quick exit out of the zone to Yanni Gord or to Blake Coleman. And it's make it make the first pass difficult. For Montreal, just mucking up the waters. And they did that in game two to an extent. But you want your hits to be impactful. When you go back and throw a hit, if it passes askew, if the pass is you know, out of his reach and then it's a turnover, you get zone time, that's a win. So Josh Anderson, uh, Gallagher, Lekkonen, if you can play, he left game two, so he's still up in the air for tonight's game. Throw some checks that force a guy to t- make a bad pass or make a mistake because Tampa has more firepower. They're going to be able to score more goals, but forcing turnovers, getting quick opportunities is the way, way to go here. The other big point for tonight's game is Carey Price. Carey Price has carried the Montreal Canadiens a lot in the past, uh, where he's been the dominant player in front of a poor team, and you know it got they probably got farther than they deserve to. This playoffs hasn't been that, and I had an argument with my mother yesterday about this because well she hates Montreal, which is fine. But, you know, it's saying, well, Price has stole him a lot of games. I said, yeah, but he hasn't this playoffs. Other, other than game five and this game six overtime against Toronto, he didn't. He hasn't. Game three against Vegas, other, those three games. Other than that, he's been just a cog in the machine because the Montreal Canadiens have just been better than the opposition. You can look on paper and say every team they beat is better than them. Sure. Paper's good. Till it gets shredded, and then who gives a crap anymore? But Carey Price has been good, just like Andre Vasilevsky's been very good. However, so far in this series, Andre Vasilevsky's been better than Carey Price. That's not a fact. That's just a fact, not opinion, not conjecture. And for Montreal to win this series, to come back, just to make it interesting, you know, they're they're down two nothing. Carey Price needs to have one of those games where you go. Okay, that's the best goaltender in the world. That's the guy who's going to be playing for Team Canada at the Olympics. That's the, you know, lock hall of famer. And we haven't seen that yet. He's allowed eight goals in two games. It's not a great stat line. Uh, but, you know, Vasilevsky's only allowed two. But you, you need Carey Price to – it needs to be two goals or less tonight. It can't be three. And to me, Montreal, if they're going to win this game, it's going to be 2-1 or 3-2. So I think two goals is, is the max for Carey Price to allow tonight. But I expect him to have a big game tonight. I expect him to be, you know, Carey legend where he comes out and he's just lights out and shuts the door on the Tampa Bay Lightning because it's back home in Montreal. It's their first Stanley Cup final game in Montreal since 1993 where they won the cup. This It's going to be electric. Even with only 3,500 fans after the 10,500 10, were rejected, which is idiotic. Uh, but it's tonight's about Carey Price to me. You are the best, quote unquote, even though Vasilevsky's got a cup. He's got a, most people would say Carey Price is the best goaltender in the world. However, Vasilevsky, say, say it's a quick series, he only allows four or five goals, and he's got two cups, and Carey Price is still sitting there. It's tough to argue that Vasilevsky is not the best goaltender in the world. I think you can make that argument right now. I'm just saying if it if Price doesn't have a great series and Vasilevsky's lights out, 
I believe the mantle, the crown, will be put on Vasilevsky's head and removed from Carey. So does Tampa have the better team? Yes. But who was better in game two? Montreal. And who won the game? Tampa. Because Vasilevsky was better than Carey Price. So we'll see. They're both fantastic netminders. And Vasilevsky's been very good in the first two games. Maybe he has an off night as well, and Carey just plays great. That's who, who wouldn't think that's possible? It's very plausible. Carey Price plays great when you need him to. He's played great at the Olympics, he, at the World Cup of Hockey. You know, he comes up in the big moments. Tonight's the biggest game he's ever played. No doubt in my mind. You're down 2 nothing in the Stanley Cup final. If you lose tonight, I think the Montreal Canadiens will be swept on Monday. If they lose tonight, I think it'll be a sweep because you're going to have three. It's going to be three, nothing in the series. You're going to have two days off just to kind of sit there and stew being down three Oh, and I don't know how much fight they'll have left after sitting there two days thinking, uh, our season's over and I got tickets to the Bahamas. Let's just, eh, I'm done with this, you know, great season. Hopefully we get some guys in, in the free agency market, you know, check plays that happens. You know, that happens. There's games where you're down 4 1. You're, we can, no, nah, we're not coming back tonight. And we've all had that in, in any sport where you're like, eh, you know, let's just throw the bench guys out there. You know, we're, we're done tonight. That happens. So we'll see. Uh, but I see Carey Price just being a big night for him. Also, Brendan Gallagher. The first two games, Brennan Gallagher has been the punching bag for the Montreal Canadiens. And I love his spunk. I love that he's not afraid to go back to the front of the net. He takes a beating, but that's his job. And he, and he does it, you know, with a smile on his face. But it can't just be get to the front of the net, have a bunch of bruises, you're bloodied. You need to be impactful. And for him, it's score a goal. You know, him, Dano, Lekkanen are a great checking line, but contribute something. It can't just be a great checking line for me. That line needs to score. And for Brennan Gallagher, you too, you're too good of a player just to be a third-line checker. Blake Coleman has, has goals in every game so far this series. He's got two goals in two games. He's a third-liner, checking line, quote-unquote. But he's got two goals. Uh, Brennan Gallagher arguably plays on their top. You know, you could say Toffoli's their top line, but Gallagher, they have the, be they have the best defensive assignment. It can't just be play defense. You're the heartbeat of this team. Other than Carey Price, I think he's the best leader on this team. He's the de facto captain after Shea Weber. He's been there. He's been here a long time. He's got the respect of that locker room. And whether the opposition doesn't like him, that only helps his case. I think he needs to be a guy that puts a puck in the back of the net tonight. And this is another big night for him to say, this is my moment. For Tampa, I expect them to be, however, I expect them to be better tonight because they were awful in game two. Third period, they came on, but they were outplayed from the jump in game one where they were careless. They had bad turnovers. They couldn't get the puck out of their, you know, they just kept making stupid decisions trying to exit exit the zone. Vasquez, he bailed them out. And you know, they weren't getting high-quality scoring opportunities, but they capitalized when they had to. They, you know, Sorelli scored an ugly goal. Coleman scores with uh, 0.3 of a second left in the second period. And then Andre Pilat scores on a Joel Edmondson uh, bad, uh, bad pass. 
So you capitalize on your opportunities, but we saw them in game one. They have another gear. So I think this game will be the closest game out of the three so far, because game one, it was all Tampa. Game two was really all Montreal, but the goaltending was great, and Tampa just found a way to win. I expect tonight's game to be a one-goal game. I expect it to be tooth and nail. It's a fight to the bitter end, and it will define the series. Because if Montreal can find a way to win tonight, who knows? You come off a win, you got two days off to heal up, rest, and say, we got another home game on Monday. Let's go win that one. If Tampa wins tonight, you got a 3 nothing series lead. Blood's in the water. The Stanley Cup's going to be in the building on Monday, and I think it'll be handed out on Monday. So that's kind of how I see how this series is going. But a lot still to be decided. Obviously, game three tonight in Montreal. Um, Lekkanen, Kalorn, still haven't heard anything yet on the status of those two players. Uh, potentially maybe a move on defense. I mentioned uh, Romanoff maybe checking in for Gustafson. So Montreal may have a few tricks up, up their sleeve tonight, but we'll see uh, on the injury front and ultimately what happens with the lineups for both of these groups. So 9 o'clock tonight, we got lightning at, at, um, at Montreal for game three of the Stanley Cup final. Last night in the NBA, it was game five of the Eastern Conference final where it was a weird one because neither star for the Atlanta Hawks or Milwaukee Bucks played where Giannis Antetokounmpo, the, the two-time league MVP, a one-time defensive player of the year, was hurt with a, with a leg injury for the Milwaukee Bucks. Trey Young, the former fifth overall pick for the Atlanta Hawks, was no go for the, for, for the Hawks where he has a bone bruise in his foot. So it was Milwaukee's, you know, star-ish players against Atlanta's, you know, crew that's just been punching above their weight class all year, but they're still here in the Eastern Conference Finals. And in game four, Trey Young didn't play, but Atlanta found a way to win. Lou Williams at his first career playoff start, he played really well. Bogdanovich kept firing. John Collins didn't have his great game. Didn't have his best game, but they played well. And the bench showed up for Atlanta. And really what Milwaukee did in that game was that they just played stupid basketball. They shot a bunch of threes. They're not a great three-point shooting team. And what they do best is get into the paint. That's where they can crush teams. It's They could have did that to the Brooklyn Nets in, in the second round, but it went to seven games because they just kept shooting bad threes. They're not a good three-point shooting team. So going into last night, I was thinking, well, I think Atlanta is going to win because they've already beat Milwaukee with Giannis for half the game. And Milwaukee is going to be stupid, keep jacking up threes. Milwaukee, uh, Atlanta will be able to capitalize because they're not the greatest three-point shooting team, but they do play smarter basketball. They have good bench players and Danilo Gallinari and Cam Reddish. So they should win this game. But it was a shock last night from Jump Street just how – different the game went for the for the Milwaukee Bucks they finally figured out what there's what they do well and that's put the ball in the paint and shoot the mid-range but what it was last night with early was attack the paint Brooke Lopez had 33 points he didn't have a combined 33 points in the first four games of this series but last night he goes 33 points shooting 14 for 18 on his field goal attempts had four blocks seven rebounds and where did he score all those points? In the paint. He just, Clint Capella is the only guy that they have at the rim. John Collins 
plays the power forward position, but he's not a power forward. He's undersized. And they took advantage of it the whole night. It, could, it was Lopez. At times it was Bobby Portis who got the start for Giannis Antetokounmpo, who he had 22 points last night, eight rebounds. And he couldn't be guarded. At times they had John Collins. At times they had to put Gallinari. He got into foul trouble. And Milwaukee was just, uh, Atlanta was just a small team and they couldn't do anything about the big men in the paint. And then there are other stars. Chris Middleton, who's so hot and cold, you don't know what you're going to get game in, game out. He had a great game. 26 points, 13 rebounds, eight assists. He was just their overall a playmaker and what they need him to be. You know, he, he didn't have to be a superstar last night because they had guys step up. I mentioned Portis and Lopez. And then Drew Holiday, who struggled mightily in the Brooklyn series, but he's played better in this Eastern Conference final. And I think he had his best game of the postseason last night where he had 25 points, but he added 13 assists. He was just distributing the basketball. They, he was traded from the New Orleans Pelicans because Milwaukee said, we can win a championship with Giannis now. And this is his first season there. He got signed to a, a max contract. And they're now a win away after winning 123-112. They're a win away from the NBA Finals where Giannis, his status is still up in the air when it comes to his leg. But they may play the Phoenix Suns where you think, well, normally we'd have the Lakers or normally we have a, a juggernaut over there in Golden State. You have the Phoenix Suns who the only player on their roster who's played a finals game is Jay Crowder, who played it last year for the Miami Heat, also played a few years with, Le with um, LeBron James. But I credit Milwaukee Mike Budenholzer. He takes a beating for, for his coaching tactics. And last night he finally hit it right where I was, I was watching the first half and I just said, they're not shooting the three. Finally, at times they, they let Atlanta back in the game by shooting the three too much, but to start the start second half, they didn't go back to the three. They went in the paint. Lopez was just dominant, scored 14 points in the third quarter where he was getting lobs. They throw the ball to him um, in the low post and Capella couldn't do anything or John Collins couldn't do anything. Then they bring in Gallinari and Reddish for some size, but he's seven feet against a six, nine, you're going to win that matchup every day of the week. And Bobby Portis is a guy who can just stretch the floor. He can shoot the three, but last night they didn't care. It was almost like Mike Budonzer said, we're going to win this game because we can dominate them in the paint and what's let them shoot threes. And what another thing Milwaukee did was just, they played better basketball. They had, they Atlanta turned the ball over six more times. You know, Milwaukee had six more steals. They out-rebounded the Atlanta Hawks. The offensive rebounds early in the game were just incredible because you, you had Capella going for rebounds, but you had Bobby Portis or you had Lopez or um, even Chris Middleton would create extra possessions for the Hawks, uh, for the Bucks, and they would just kill the Hawks getting second chance opportunities. So looking ahead to game six tomorrow, Giannis, I don't think will play. I injured his leg. I, I think they look at this and say game six in Atlanta. We saw the game plan, what we did in game five. Let's try to duplicate that tomorrow night. And then if we win, we book our ticket to the NBA finals. So in the perfect world, they win. We go to the NBA finals. Maybe the NBA finals will start Monday or Tuesday. Maybe Giannis can come back then, but we give him a, a couple extra days. So I, I wouldn't play him in game six. Regardless, if they were down 3-2 and he could play, obviously you're going to play him, but I would not play him Saturday.
for Atlanta, I expect Trey Young to play. They said that he was going to sit out last night in hopes that he could return for game six. So I think Trey Young will play with, with the Hawks season on the line. I can't see their best player. He's obviously not going to be hundred percent, but I think he'll tr- at least try it out there. We saw James Harden do that in, in the second round for, for the uh, Brooklyn Nets. So I think Trey Young hopefully is a little, a, a decent pain threshold and he can go out there and play. So I expect him to play, but for Milwaukee, for Atlanta, you're, you're getting smaller with Trey Young on the floor, but obviously he's, he's a great shooter. He can distribute the ball. You don't got to hope Bogdanovich, you know, Bogdanovich had 28 points last night, but you, he needs some help. John Collins needs to play better. He has not had a great series. Quinn Capella cannot get in foul trouble that early in the game. Also just defend better. Um, but their lineup's not going to get any bigger when it comes to defending the paint overnight, but it may just have to be a collective effort where they say, okay, we need to box out better guys. We all need to converge on rebounds because Bobby Portis, um, Brooke Lopez, Middleton, even a Pat Connaughton, these guys are getting boards. We cannot allow them to get this many second chance points because they are killing us in the paint. And maybe you have to play box in one defense. We saw Phoenix do that in game six against the Clippers. Just change up your mentality a little bit if you're Nate McMillan. He's been a great coach all year. So let's see what he has in his sleeve as the Hawks are facing elimination uh, here in the Eastern Conference final. But with both stars out, we saw some p- people step up, not, you know, not your usual characters for sure with, you know, Brooke Lopez, who's had a lackadaisical postseason to say the least, but he gets out from shooting threes as a seven footer, gets back in the paint where he's really, was great at the beginning of his career and he made the uh, make the Atlanta Hawks pay last night. So Milwaukee wins the game 123-112 and they have the opportunity to book their ticket to the, to the NBA Finals uh, Saturday night. That'll be a 9.30 tip uh, live from Atlanta. Um, yesterday I talked about what you should what you could watch uh, for Canada Day. And one of the one of the tournaments was the Rocket Mortgage. That's the golf tournament this weekend in Detroit. And it, it was a a rainy day in Detroit. Uh, they had a, over a three-hour rain delay where um, you know play was stopped and they played until late last evening. So a few golfers are finishing up their first round today, including a pair of Canadians, which we'll get to in a minute. But the real headline from this tournament was Bryson DeChambeau. Prior to him teeing off, it was announced that he had parted ways with his longtime caddy, Tim Tucker. And Tim's went, been with DeChambeau for a number of years. They uh, departed briefly uh, a few years ago. They decided to bring it back. But it sounds as if this may be permanent. And one thing about Bryson is he's very hard to deal with. We see him on the course. He's constantly shaking his head. He asks his caddy for a lot of information. And I don't think he's the easiest guy to get along with. Uh, he, he puts a lot of pressure on himself. He, if he doesn't get a good read, he you know, looks at his caddy a lot. I think he, and for Tim, I think this was just a frustration thing where he said, you know, Bryson's not getting the result he wants and maybe he's directing it at him and he was sick of it. So I can't blame Tim for departing, but this was just, you know, a few, a few hours before he teed off at the rocket mortgage. And, you know, a member of the Cobra, if you look at his gear, he wears Cobra, wears a Cobra hat every time he golfs, would be caddying for him. And I think it was just a distracting day for him. He had a rough, he only shot even par for the day. Obviously he won this tournament last year. So he knows the course well, 
but he only shoots even par and that's Rina on the cut line. He declined to be interviewed after his round. So clearly he didn't want to have any part of this conversation. And not only that, but he, uh, it was funny because right after it was announced, Brooks Kepka, obviously his rival, goes on Twitter and says caddy appreciation post. And he, he writes about his caddy, how he it was his best friend and he couldn't do it without him. And he just said like, love you, bro. This was clearly a shot at Bryson because he, him, his caddy just had to get away from him. Brooks has a good relationship with his and it continues the rivalry. Uh, obviously we have the match upcoming on Tuesday. We'll have Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady against Bryson and Aaron Rodgers and another of these little uh, invitationals where they have a, they battle each other. That'll be on TNT on, on Tuesday. So I, I love Kepka coming back at him with that. I think that's really funny. Uh, obviously, they're both great golfers. Bryson's currently number six in the world rankings. But this, this is a big deal. You know, you're, you part with your caddy. Sometimes it can be a good thing. But we see departing with a coach is not always a great thing in sports. And, you know, he's been with Tim for a while. But Bryson is just really controlling. He, he needs every bit of information. He needs to know the, he needs to know every scientific angle about it. We see him go to that yardage book so many times during a round. And I'm sure that gets draining on Tim because if he says it's, you know, 175 yards to the hole and Bryson hits it and it rolls somewhere else, I'm sure Tim is hearing it, hearing about it at the end of the round. And, you know, it's a divorce for sure. We'll see if they end up coming back together again for, you know, they departed and they found a way to come back together uh, the last time. So maybe that will happen again, but just big golf news. Cause it's Bry Bryson's always got headlines about him and for him to do that just hours from his tea time yesterday was a big surprise, but the tournament itself was a big surprise because the leader, Jordan Thompson, a 22 year old, my a guy, my age shoots a course record 63 yesterday, nine under to lead the tournament. And Jordan's got this interesting story because he wrote a letter to the Rocket Mortgage asking to get a sponsor exemption into this tournament. He doesn't have his tour card yet. He's only got room for a few tour events. He missed the cut at the Travelers, asked the Rocket Mortgage people if he could be a part of this tournament, and he was granted permission. And what's, what's he doing the first day? He shoots nine under 63, just tearing up the course. Now, you know, it'd be a hell of a story if Jordan go on to win this tournament, he would get his tour card. But one thing you can say is that you can't win a tournament on Thursday, but you can certainly lose it. But he puts himself in great position, shoots nine under. There are the leaderboard is there's some guys at the top of it. You got Joaquin Neiman, who, who's a strong player, Tom Lewis at, at seven under. Uh, but what a story for him. You know, guys who Gary Woodland, a former U.S. Open champion, DeChambeau, Mackenzie Hughes, guys have been in the news lately, didn't have great shooting days. Uh, it's kind of guys in the middle of the pack who've, who've um, had a great start to the tournament. A lot of the main guys are also starting to go over to Europe. We see Rory, Rory McIlroy is competing in the European Tour this week, just a few weeks away from the British Open. So we will we'll start to see some guys go over to Europe um, likely have the John Deere uh, tournament next week and won't have the best field in it, but good for Jordan Thompson. You write a letter, you get in it, you get the exemption. 
but you don't want to go there, get the exemption, then miss the cut. He at least puts himself in a position. He's the leader coming into today, have another strong round. Who knows? You go into the weekend and, you know, you may be able, may be able to catch fire and make some history here. But we saw a 22-year-old Garrett Higo win a tournament just a few weeks ago. So younger guys, guys who've never won an event on the PGA Tour are getting wins. And, we said, you know, Kramer Hickok nearly got a win last week at the Travelers where he went eight playoff rounds with Harris English. So, you know, will it be Jordan Thompson's week? Could it be a pair of Canadians? You know, guys who are uh, not so well-known, Roger Sloan, Michael Gicklick are both at five under uh, to start today. So they're within four strokes of the lead. Um, could they catch fire at, at, here at the Rocket Mortgage? So still a lot of golf to be played, but a good start to the tournament. And we'll see what, what happens today. Bryson DeChambeau is second day since departing with his caddy. Maybe he'll have more success um, today after shooting even par uh, to start uh, his title defense yesterday. Last night, uh, the Major League Baseball announced their all-stars for this season. The all-star game is a week from Monday. And I hate all-star games. Uh, I hate them almost as much as I hate shootouts. But nevertheless, you know, the all-star, it's important. It's nice for players to say, well, I'm an all-star. I was an all-star this year. I get rewarded for my, for my great play. So looking last night, I was just looking through names. And two teams really jumped out to me for having a lot of all-stars. One, the Toronto Blue Jays. You know, they look, they have Teoscar Hernandez, right fielder. He's making his first all-star appearance. They have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. who'll be making his first career all-star appearance. Marcus Simeon is making his first all-star appearance as second baseman, beating up Jose Altuve. Then you have the Boston Red Sox. Rafael Devers, his first all-star appearance, third base. Xander Bogart's going to his third. You know, he's been a great shortstop for a long time. But you have three Blue Jays hitters on this list, only two Red Sox. So it would scream to you, well, the Toronto Blue Jays should be right in the thick of it with the Boston Red Sox, right? I mean, they got three all-stars starters on this team. However, the Red Sox hit eight and a half games ahead of the Blue Jays in the standings, and they are 20 games above 500, while the Blue Jays are a mere three games over 500. So this tells me a few things. Blue Jays batters are legit. Because Bo Bichette was second in, in, uh, in voting when it comes to shortstop. Yeah, shortstop behind Xander Bogart. He was second in voting. So he was right there. You, they could have had four. But their bats are great. Teoscar's having a great season. Vlad is having a, a fantastic – Marcus Simeon getting a one-year deal, a prove-it contract, has been everything the Blue Jays have wanted and more. But what it tells me is that they're, they're pitching – what we all know, they're pitching stinks. We saw yesterday, Hinjin Ryu is their ace, but he struggled mightily again yesterday – giving up five earned runs. He walked in May, in April, May, he walked eight batters in two months. In the month of June, he walked 11. Just in one month, yesterday, he walked another two batters, giving up five earned. And it's always tougher because the first inning, he struggles. He gave up two earned to start the day. Wasn't great. Blue Jay, Simeon got one back where he had a, a leadoff home run. But the Blue Jays end up losing 7-2. They lose 2-3 or three to the Seattle Mariners, where it's their starting pitching. It can be their bullpen because Tyler Chatwood struggled again yesterday. He's hot and cold right now where you might get 
uh, he throws a, an inning, it's nine pitches, or he's going to throw an inning where he walks two and gives up three earned and he throws 35 and it's just a mess. You don't know what you're getting. They're hoping Adam Simber can be a guy that they can add to the bullpen. He didn't have a great day yesterday. You're Obviously, they got Romano. You want guys to come back healthy. And there's still the trade deadline and all this, but the, the Red Sox are 20 games above 500. They went yesterday 15 to one over the Kansas City Royals. And, you know, the Blue Jays have been beating up on bad teams lately. They've been beating the Baltimores, beating Miami. Seattle is not a great team. You need to, you can't lose two or three to Seattle. And I mentioned yesterday, this weekend's huge for them. They got the Tampa, Tampa Bay Rays, who have really hit a slope here. They're going downwards. Blue Jays stock seems to be going up, but that stock needs to continue to rise against teams that are, that are good. You know, it can't be just against Baltimore. You know, you're going to beat Baltimore every time they, they are one of the worst teams in baseball. They're like the Arizona diamondbacks. They are terrible, but it's interesting to see these players, you know, you got Shoei Otani who's on the list, who's a stud. I think he's the front runner for MVP right now in the American league, him or Vladdy, but they're, they're not going to make the playoffs. Toronto Blue Jays are likely not going to make the playoffs. And this team is filled with uh, the Boston Red Sox right now are, are heavy favorites to win the American League East. So they should make the playoffs. You see all these teams, Aaron Judge is an all-star. I don't think the Yankees are going to make the playoffs. So great players, but these teams are not, you know, Altuve didn't get voted as a starter. He's on, um, you know, he's obviously on the Houston Astros. Matt Chapman didn't make it in a, a third base for for the Oakland Athletics, they're going to make the playoffs. It's just interesting to see how you know, all-star teams are full of talented players, of course. But do they really mean anything? Well, looking at this knowledge, they really don't. Like Mike Trout got voted in as an all-star. He's been out for half the year and he got voted in because he's Mike Trout. But again, he's on an Angels team that's not going to make the playoffs. The Atlanta Braves are, are clawing in, in the National League. Freddie Freeman got voted in. Ronald Acuna Jr. Of course, th- these are fantastic players, but all-star games are full of great players that, that don't that, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're successful. Because a player can have a great season. We've seen Connor McDavid have a season where he had over 100 points. Edmonton missed the playoffs. That's a lost season. Making an all-star team, getting nominated for a Hart Trophy, what does that do for you? And this all-star appearance for a team for, I I think, especially like a guy like Aaron judge or Mike trout, it's empty calories because you're not going anywhere. At least if you're the blue Jays, you can say, I'm sure if you're upper management, you can say, well, the kids are young. We're going to get pitching eventually. Well, we've been here. We've been hearing that for a few years. I'm sure a lot of blue Jays fans are a little angry, but they'll be, they'll wait. They'll give themselves, they'll give management a little bit of time, but Eventually, you got to say, okay, we have all these all-stars. Why the hell aren't we making the playoffs? Like, that's, just, that's an easy question. Like, okay, we have all this talent out here tonight. Why the hell are we only three games above 500? And, you know, Red Sox have two. That's good. But why are they 20? And who's Martin Perez? Who's Eduardo Rodriguez? Why are they winning all these games while we struggle to get wins? And I think that those conversations will start to happen because it's only human nature to say, well, why is this team better than us? We're we're better. 
look at all of us. We're, we're a couple votes away from having four all-star starters in the American League. Basically, our whole team is on the all-star team. Why the hell are we struggling? Why are we third in the American League East standings? Why are we even not in a wildcard position? And if if I'm a blue, if you're a blue Jays fan, I think what you got to hope for today is that management looks at this picture and says, holy crap, we almost had four all-stars. Why are we not better? We need to get better because we have all these guys playing at such a high level right now. We need to reward them for that. All these all-stars are doing everything they can to help us win, but our pitching stinks. We need more starters. We need bullpen depth. And they deserve that opportunity. The Padres did that. They saw they had uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. the third. They acquired Hugh Darvish. They acquired Mike Clevenger. They got Ryan Weathers. They got pitching because they saw what they had in front of them. They signed Manny Machado. They had these bats that were great in Machado and Tatis Jr. and, and uh, Cronworth and Tommy Pham. And they said, okay, great. But we know what we're going to do. We're going to go get these pitchers that can push us over the top. And maybe they won't win a World Series this year, but at least they did it. The Blue Jays and Padres were in basically the same position. Tatis Jr. the third, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. are the same age. Why didn't the Blue Jays push the chips to the middle yet? The Padres are in arguably just as tough a division. I think the two toughest divisions in baseball are the American League East and the American League East and the National League West. They're both in third, but you can see they're very in drastic differently positions because the Padres are in a playoff spot and they're battling with the Dodgers for second. The Giants are, are the outlier, like the Boston Red Sox, you could say, in the American League East. But why, why didn't the Blue Jays make that step? They did it with Tatis Jr. the third. Sometimes it's patience, but sometimes there's moments in life, sometimes there's moments in sports where it hits you over the side of the head like a freight train and you say, wow, we, we have all this talent. We know they're good, but the world is starting to recognize they're that good too. We need to help these guys out and do more for them. And we'll, we'll see what happens. But congrats to all the All-Stars. But I just think it, the bigger story, the bigger narrative here is why aren't we better? And for a lot of these teams, like the Angels, like the Blue Jays, who had a, Yankees, who had All-Stars voted in last night, I think you got to look in the mirror this morning if you're Ross Atkins, if you're um, – Brian, uh, Brian Cashman, the GM of the New York Yankees, and say, what are we doing wrong here? That's just something to think about as we head into the weekend. Um, today uh, at Wimbledon, we're going to see a fun matchup where Andy Murray is going to be on center court this afternoon against Canadian Dennis Shapovalov. Uh, Dennis did not have to play a second-round match. Uh, Murray advanced in five sets, but this is Shapovalov's first match ever on center court Murray's obviously played multiple times winning a, a Wimbledon title before but Shapovalov you get to that big stage you're playing Andy Murray the crowd's gonna be pro Murray uh he's obviously making a third round just a big deal for him after the laundry list of injuries that he's gone through in his career but we'll see if Shapo can handle it how he plays today it's a lot of pressure against a former Grand Slam champion 
he's come up short in big moments before. But you have Dennis, you have uh, Felix Ojeda-Aliassim, both in the third round. Uh, Felix will play tomorrow against always entertaining uh, Nick Kyrgios, the Aussie. Um, that, that match may be on center. They haven't announced it yet. I could see that match being on center court. Uh, Kyrgios has had some great moments at Wimbledon, including beating Rafael Nadal on center court. So at 19 years old, so we'll see, but these two young men have an opportunity. They're both in the same, ha- they're in different halves of the draw, but Dennis didn't play at the French. Uh, he should be fresh. Felix was out in the first round. So they both like playing on grass. They both seem comfortable with it. And we'll see what can happen today. Um, the women's draw is wide open like it is all the time, but the one constant in these Grand Slams the past number of months has been Aiga Swiatek. She's already advanced this morning to the round of 16. She's won the French Open uh, last seat last year. So she's off to the fourth round as she continues to play great. Carolina Pliskova was in a battle when I finished. She was playing a fellow uh, Czech woman. So she's in doing battle with her. She ends up winning her match 6-3, 6-3. So she's advancing to the fourth round. Just looking here. We have Andre Rublev is in a fight. He's a set of piece of Fabio Fognini. He's a world number five. So we'll see what he can do. Uh, he's currently uh, up a break in the third set. And uh, also today we'll have see Novak Djokovic play Canadian Dennis Kudla, big Dan Evans play Sebastian Korda. Um, so some fun tennis over the weekend. Roger Federer will be on court tomorrow against Cameron Nori, the Brit, uh, Chilich Medvedev. Uh, I mentioned that the Canadians matchups. So a lot of tennis over the weekend. We got game, th- game three, the Stanley Cup final, game six, Eastern Conference final, and, and some baseball as we, um, as we head into the weekend. So everybody, oh, and I wanted to say before we wrap today, Monday night um, at five o'clock, I'll be doing an interview with Zach Fucali. And for people that don't know, Zach Fucali is a former Halifax Moosehead, uh, won a Memorial Cup with, in 2013 with Nathan McKinnon and uh, Jonathan Drouin and that you know, great team that they had in Halifax. And I'll talk to him um, about his career. He's playing with the Hershey bears. Now with the American hockey league, we'll talk about his career, this COVID year. Um, he spent a lot of time representing his country at the Spangler cup. I'm, I'm going to get into that. If that's a, not a tournament you're familiar with, we'll dive into that on Monday. But we're going to be doing, I'm going to be interviewing him. Um, that'll be on Facebook Live again, just like I did with Doug McLean. So five o'clock on Monday, uh, please tune in. Uh, you can, if you have a question and, it, and it's good, I will ask it to Zach. Uh, but comment, um, you know, join in, be part of the live event. That, um, I love interviewing people. I appreciate Zach um, coming on, you know, going to be coming on the show. It's great for him. It's great for him to do that, take the time out of his off season. But that'll be Monday at five. Um, I'll be interviewing Zach Vucali. So um, yeah, uh, he, he's a really nice guy. And obviously he was teammates with, um, with my cousin Sawyer. So uh, we have that connection a little bit as well. So Monday interview with Zach Vucali. Everybody have a great weekend. Enjoy the sports. Uh, game three tonight. Enjoy that. But as always, take care, stay healthy, and, and uh, we'll talk soon.